from the MZ Studios Dallas Virtual Studios in Cyberspace. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings, everyone. It's your host, Ryan Trimble. Enjoying a beautiful spring day here in Dallas and excited to be joined by a man who's always looking forward. He, of course, Sean Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day, Ryan. Always moving forward, never backwards. It's got to be that way. On the board, sir. Which is, you know, which is part of what we're talking about as we're looking to bring our new podcast series to our listeners. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of great feedback and support when we did our Where Do We Go From Here series last year. And so this... um, Based on conversations that we've had internally and with other folks, we've decided to build on that this year. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's it's good uh, to to do a pulse check of sorts on, on this and and see. You know, there was a big big flurry of activity and everybody was ready to to do something, but now you know, uh, gosh, ten months later, nine ten months later, you know, where are we? Do we still have momentum? Are we still building? I think I'm excited to report that there is still activity, uh, good positive momentum, uh, I think, in the right direction. And so we wanted to bring those stories to our listeners and uh, you know, continue to encourage people to engage on these issues. Yeah, I, I think that we will talk to people who are doing some great things. We'll talk to people who were inspired to create change themselves after the death of George Floyd last year and and started new initiatives and new gatherings. And at the same time, you know, we've seen steps back. We've seen people and racism, racism fight back. We've seen racists fight back. We've seen people storm the Capitol uh, who, while some people might say that's not racist, uh, I think the way that it was perpetrated was racist. I think the way that they were treated as they went into the White House, excuse me, into the Capitol was racist. I think if this had been a Black Lives Matter protest that had attempted to storm the Capitol, you'd have people laid out and there wouldn't have been a delay in response. Uh, so, you know, I, I and, and now we're seeing violence against Asian Americans. And so, you know, I think there are a lot of positive conversations, a lot of people who have good feelings, but at the same time, you know, there's still things that, that show that we got a long, long way to go. Yeah, so so you know we wanted to bring this to our listeners to uh, you know encourage everybody to to keep going. Um, you know, for me personally, Sean, after our last podcast, uh, you know, I I've actually had a really fun journey of my own, and and I don't want to share my entire story during this intro segment, but perhaps during one of our intro segments during the, during uh, during this series, you know, I got I got onto the. Uh, after our last, you know, last summer, they decided they were going to rename Splash Mountain because it was racist. And so I had a reaction to that with a personal experience. I mean, this sounds silly, but it really led me on a journey as to, you know, these these stories of, of Br'er Rabbit and, and all these great stories. And, and you know, I've, I've talked Sean's ear off about it, but uh, and I'll probably talk our listeners ears off about it, too. But, um, you know, I just want to say Thank you, because without that, I wouldn't have had this This really, you know, without our podcast, our first series, I wouldn't have had this experience, this really deep, engaging learning experience and, and you know, f- figured out for myself more deeply and more intimately, you know, what, what freedom means, especially in a country that espouses 
um, you know, equality and freedom. I, I, I think that's great. And I think hopefully more people are doing more digging, more reading, more learning. You know, I, I've gone back, I, I read the um, autobiography, not autobiography, the biography on Benjamin Franklin uh, a few weeks ago. I listened to the audio book, I would say, and it was 29 <laughs> hours, 29 hours long. So that would have taken me about a year to read. And, you know, I, I like, I, I want to go back to the founding of the country. You know, I've read the Alexander Hamilton uh, biography and see because a lot of these ideas, a lot of what people refer to as the um, discrepancy between states' rights and North and South and where all that began, began from the very beginning of the country. It was baked into the founding of the country uh, and, and it persists and it persists in how, you know, racism plays out. It persists in the fact that the nation did not intend for African-Americans or women to vote. Uh, it, was, it wasn't set up that way. And so it, the more we know about this history, the better. And uh, I know you've done some Civil War uh, study. And my next book, um, you know, is, is a book on uh, Ulysses S. Grant and, and his views of, of kind of forgotten general, general or forgotten president. Uh, so I want to do that. So I, I would encourage our listeners to learn more about these ideas that we're talking about on the podcast, learn more about these ideas that our guests are talking about. And our guest today, uh, Dale Long, has some stories that hopefully our, our listeners, he's going to be talking about personal experience that hopefully some of our listeners will go back and learn more about themselves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you use the word history here. This guy is got a lot of it and and uh it's excited to to share it with us so let's jump right in after this quick break this is deconstructing dallas ryan trimble sean williams stick with us Deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. Ryan, I'm really excited today to talk to uh, a longtime friend, uh, a former co-worker, and just all around a great guy. Today, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dale Long. Dale is a former public servant at the city of Dallas. Uh, he's a speaker. He's a mentor with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and he is a fellow member of Alpha Phi Alpha so, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be speaking with Dale Long. Dale, hey, how you doing? Good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, Dale, what an honor. Uh, you know, if there's if if there is a, a truly a roll up your sleeves and and get in the dirt and get to work kind of guy, it is Dale Long. So, it is a real honor to visit with you today. Uh, for for those of our listeners who who aren't as familiar with you and your story. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do here in Dallas and across North Texas? Absolutely. Um, well, I've lived in Dallas for a little over 40 years. I, I went to Texas Southern down in Houston and worked for NASA for a little bit and 
had an opportunity to move to Dallas to work for Texas Instruments uh, in 1980, and I've been here ever since. Um, prior to Texas Southern, I grew up in what was um, a racial, racially turbulent uh, Birmingham, Alabama, that was known as the Johannesburg of the South of the, of the country. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, when it was obviously tough on my parents to raise two boys, uh, my brother Kenneth and I, uh, Birmingham was thoroughly segregated from water fountains to bathrooms, if they exist, to schools, to jobs, to housing, uh, you name it. Birmingham was thoroughly segregated. Uh, uh, even... Even on the variety show, shows that came on TV, if Nat King Cole or Pearl Bailey or any of the African-American uh, entertainers in that era were on, happened to be on one of those shows, they were blacked out in Birmingham because those images weren't to be seen in Birmingham. Because, again, that was the way segregation was uh, uh, practiced. Um, the worst part about it, that there had been bombings, uh, 40 or 50 or so throughout Birmingham. With, with, with nobody arrested for it. Now, in most cases, the people, the authorities knew who was doing it. But, uh, in instances where, uh, uh, people moved into neighborhoods where it was felt by some they did not belong, the, the home was bombed. Uh, Sean, we have a fraternity brother, Arthur Shores, who was an attorney on what was known as Dynamite Hill, Center Street. And his home was bombed two or three times. Um, but at the time, nobody was, was killed during those bombings. The homes were destroyed, but, but fortunately, there weren't any deaths. And, and then in, 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 uh, we all know that the Brown versus, uh, Board of Education ruling took place in 1954-55, I think it was, which basically integrated schools, but it didn't mean anything in the state of Alabama because they relied on what they call states' rights. And the governor, George Wallace, at the time declared that there would be no integration of schools in Birmingham. But the bombings and the beatings, and you remember the fire bombing of buses during the Freedom Riders, those were ways that the Klan used to intimidate people, to keep them, black people, to keep them in their place so that they would understand the consequences that would take place if they, if they insisted on, on integrating schools and neighborhoods and Demanding certain jobs. Well, Dale, that's kind of that's that's kind of where I wanted to pick up because, and and I I would we could we could talk about Birmingham. You know, my family and I visited, and one of the things that just struck me was that Birmingham wasn't even a city during the Civil War. It, it, it came after, you know, which is an interesting piece of history to me. But another historical part of Birmingham that fits in what you're talking about was the 16th Street. Uh, church bombing on September 15, 1963. And I know on the day of the bombing, you were in the church. And so I want, and, and there were deaths from that bombing. And so I, I wanted to just ask, what do you remember about that? And, and what can you tell us about that day? Well, Sean, I remember that incident as if it was yesterday. Uh, I was 11 years old. My brother was nine. Uh, we grew up in 16th Street Church. We were very familiar with the people uh, there. It was something going on at that church seven days a week. Um, and there were families that everybody knew. We knew each other. And, and, but it happened to be the place where when, when, when Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth called Dr. King to Birmingham to help out in what was known as the Civil Rights Movement 
and later became known as the Children's Crusade. Uh, 16th Street Church was located strategically not too far from downtown Dallas, not too far from the government facilities, City Hall and the county courthouse. It was across the street from uh, Kelly Ingram Park, and it was a beautiful, very large edifice, and it was able to house thousands of people who typically would show up in the evening and listen to Dr. King's oratory and the speeches and then demonstrate the following day. Uh, the demonstrations took place uh, during the spring of 1963, and we all know that in one particular inc incident, Dr. King was locked up himself, and he was placed in solitary confinement in Birmingham, and that's where he penned the famous essay, A Letter from a Birmingham Jail. So we could spend another show just talking about that alone. Absolutely. But um, this was in response to uh, white ministers in Birmingham who took out a full-page ad in the Birmingham News and said, Dr. King, you need to wait. We're working on this. We're working on new laws and a new way of government in Birmingham. And Dr. King uh, responded by writing that essay. And basically what it said was, uh, it, you know, waiting means never in Birmingham. And that essay led to his famous book, his first book, as a matter of fact, Why We Can't Wait. Um, the schools were finally integrated in September. I think it was September 4th, the Armstrong brothers who lived behind me integrated the school down the street for me and the, the, the FBI sat between the two homes in the alley. Our our backyards met but separated by an alley and the FBI sat back there for years just to protect the Armstrong boys. Uh, typically they would walk them to school a block away every morning sat in the classroom with them just to protect them. Several other schools were integrated in Birmingham on the 4th of September and the Klan got together and decided you know, they're going to hate that they did that. And so with 16th Street being the gathering place and, and the, the nucleus of the civil rights movement and the children's uh, 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 crusade in Birmingham, uh, several sticks of dynamite were placed under the steps in the church uh, the night before. And, of course, the explosion took place around 1023. I was in the basement uh, in Sunday school. The Sunday school had just ended. And uh, my brother was there on the other side of the uh, downtown, the, the basement facility in his Sunday school class. And at the time of the bombing, we really didn't know what happened. And I remember uh, running out of the church because, again, even though we were in the basements, the, the, the lights were, were blown out. It was dusty. You couldn't see. But I knew my way out of that church. And ironically, I was met by a police officer who told me, get back down in that nigga. And I ran, ran right past him. Now, Sean, you and I both used to work for the police department. You know, uh, response time is seven minutes to date. Mm -hmm. But ironically, the police were right there while the building was still shaking. And I remember running right past him, running under his arms and making my way to the outside of the church. Again, not having a clue as to what was going on. But I started to smell the, the, the pungent odor of dynamite and gunpowder. And you, you would wonder, well, what do you know about that? You're 11 years old. Well, cap pistols. Mm -hmm. the crackers that all the boys played with back then. And then I realized the church had been bombed. And seconds later, I saw the adults, being, some of them being escorted from the main auditorium upstairs down that huge stairwell. Many were bleeding. Many were crying and hysterical. 
And then people were looking for their loved ones. And I realized I hadn't seen my brother. So I went back down in the basement looking for him. And the fireman stopped me. He said, son, where you going? And I said, I'm looking for my brother. Is that okay? He said, go right ahead. Now, you're talking about a church that had been bombed. Mm-hmm. You don't know if there's a second bomb. You don't know as a result of the first bomb that the place would collapse. But he sent an 11-year-old boy back in there to search for his brother. So I went to the classroom where he should have been and called for his name, looked under the table and stuff. No one was there. And I came back out the second time. I was in the church orchestra. This time I remember I grabbed my clarinet and I was sitting there and I came out. And fortunately, I saw my brother Kenneth with his classmates and they were around a big oak tree that was in front of 16th Street Church along with his Sunday school teacher. And and I made sure he was okay. He was crying as as was his his uh, classmates. And we, we stood on the corner because my dad was working for the AG Gaston Motel at the time. We were right up the street a block away. And, and Sean, you should know this, that two or three months earlier, the, the motel had been bombed. And and we didn't, my brother and I didn't know anything about it till the following morning uh, when we woke up to the FBI and a lot of people in the house. And my mother explained to us that the motel had been bombed. And so everybody in my home had been victimized by Birmingham bums, except my mom. Uh, the following week after the uh, September 15th uh, bombing, was, we spent visiting grieving families. And, and of course, we were a mess. And there were no counselors for black boys and girls, and certainly we needed it. But my grandmother did the best she could in trying to console us and calm us down because we were afraid of everything. Right. We were afraid to leave the home after being almost killed in the church that was supposed to be the place of refuge and protection. But my grandmama said to us, if you want to get beyond this issue of racism, you need to pray, have faith, walk upright, and get a good education. She said that all the time, Sean, but this time she added something. She said, you need to do something for somebody else. Uh, Denise, Carol, Addie, and Cynthia, the four girls that were killed, won't get a chance to live out their life. You got to do your part and theirs too. God spared you for a reason because it could have been four little boys versus four little girls. And so that's my story. I could go on and on, but Birmingham has changed quite a bit since then, and it took a better, but there still has, there's still a lot to be done uh, in terms of race relations and fairness and and, and 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 making Birmingham be the place it should be in order for people to live comfortably and equitably. And and Dale, you know, a, a lot of people look at what happened in 1963 as history, something that happened a long time ago. Obviously, it's living history for you. But but I say, you know, some of the perpetrators from incidents that you mentioned in bombings are still alive. Some of their children and grandchildren are still making policy. So you can you talk about what that legacy of racism? means in a place like Birmingham and some and, and places like we live in the South, but what, what is the, the legacy of that racism that can persist still today? Well you know if you if you if you know the story of Birmingham, some of the perpetrators weren't even indicted and prosecuted until forty years later. You and I both know that's not justice. Right. And so they were able to walk three free and live peaceably. And, and, and live without any type of threat of incarceration or anything like that until 40 years later. And it had to do with uh, several elected officials who happened to have been uh, the, the 
some of the officials who, who decided to revisit that case. But you're right. Some of their uh, kids, some of their grandkids uh, live today. And some of them perhaps are serving in the state legislature, not just in Alabama, uh, but in Texas. And I contend that, you know, once that attitude is perpetrated on and on and on and on, you know, anybody who practices something long enough become good at it, including what I call bovine fecal matter. They become good at it. And, and it continues. And uh, as we look at the news and read the newspaper today, we see the results of it that continues. And again, a lot of work has to be done in order to change things for the better and make things livable and equitable for people of color. You know, Dale, over the last year, we've seen an increase in violence in the Asian-American community, including, sadly, the, the recent events in Atlanta where, where 10 people were killed. Do you see any parallels between what's going on today with the Asian-American community and what you were witness to in Birmingham growing up? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it began, in my opinion, it began with our former president who stoked that type of negative attitude about Asian-Americans. Um, Certainly, the things that we all know that he did didn't help the situation because only the only thing that happened is, is that it is excited and it sort of gave permission for people to be mean and hate exercise hatred towards uh, the Asian Americans. Former President Trump did everything he could in order to make this happen. And um, again, we need to be careful about who we elect in the public public office and who we consider leaders, because in some instances, they don't have all Americans um, um, in their best interest. They wanted, they're wanting to uh, they have a, an agenda. And that agenda, as you all mentioned, started way back in the 60s and even way back into slavery and the Civil War era. This is Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We're visiting with Dale Long. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean, it's a pleasure to be joined today by Dale Long. Uh, man, if you don't know his story, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we're getting to share share some of his his story with our listeners today. Now, Dale, last summer, Sean and I, uh, you know, Sean's brainchild, and, and I was happy to to be along for the ride. We did a we did a podcast on race and racism after the uh, the George Floyd killing. I think for a lot of Americans, uh, that moment, seeing that video, that was an awakening moment. Where do you think we are as a nation regarding racism uh, and race relations as we approach the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death? Well, we, again, we still have a lot to do. You know, the entire universe saw what happened to George Floyd. There was no doubt as to um, 
Uh, what made that happen? It was racism. Who's, who places their knee on the neck of a, a man for eight minutes and 40 seconds? And every now and then he would raise his leg to see if the man was still breathing. And then you had three other police officers standing by watching it happen and did nothing with George Floyd's friends standing by begging him, begging the police officer to, to free him and not kill him. The man was handcuffed. He was face down. He, he, he was no longer struggling to free himself. And we all saw this man die right in front of our faces. And the, the most terrifying moment to me is when he called for his mama. This grown man, his mom had been dead for years, but he called for his mama because at that point I gathered that he knew that his life was going to be snuffed out in a few seconds. So it's no doubt in my mind, and I understand that the jury has been selected for that case. What is it, Milwaukee? And, and, and I'm hoping that justice is served uh, in making sure that the, the, the police officer that, that did that is punished accordingly and that perhaps other people won't go back and do the same thing. Because if he gets free with it, if he gets away with it, then we, unfortunately, will probably see it happen again and again. Dale, you've been part of Big Brothers Big Sisters for, for many years. You mentored a, a number of young men and had a chance to speak to a lot of young people along the way. So I'm interested to know, you know, what what's your perspective of, of how they see race? What have you heard some of these young people talk about regarding the racism and, and the conversations that you all have had? Sean, let me, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of ties into uh, my Birmingham story. See, at the time of the bombing, uh, and when my grandmother told me about praying and having faith and, and all of that and doing something for other people, then at the funeral of three of the four girls, I got a chance to look into the face of Dr. King. I was just 10 feet away from him. And when you combine that moment with what my grandmama told me, I called it my epiphany experience. Years later, I was led to Texas Southern. I went there on a band scholarship. And while at Texas Southern, I found out about uh, Big Brothers, Big Sister Sean, you're like this at a fraternity meeting, an announcement <laughs> meeting. Of course, and, I like and, that. And right, right after school, uh, right after I completed my degree with the work for, for NASA, the first day on the job, a guy introduced, welcomed me to the company and told me how glad he was there for for, for me to be there. And then before he walked away, he said, hey, you ever thought about being a big brother? And he got me involved. Uh, he taught me into doing it. And since then, I've had seven little brothers and, um, and moving to Dallas. I took up where I left off in Houston. And it's been a blessing for me to do that. But I found that as my calling, as a result of what I experienced as an 11-year-old. So I tell kids the same thing my grandmama, pray, have faith, walk up right. Get a good education and then prepare yourselves. Because if I've given up myself, and in the case of my current little brother, we've been matched for 10 years. We've been all over the place. We've been on national TV, Cowboys games, you name it. We've been all over the place. The Morton Myerson Symphony, Dallas Symphony. We've visited colleges throughout the area. You know, he has no other way to go but up if he does some of the things that we've talked about. But when he asked me, when he talks to me about the things that he sees on TV, about police brutality and other things that get kids in trouble, we talk about 
image, sagging pants, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Knowing if we start driving, the police stop you, keep your hands at 10 to 2. Yes, sir. No, sir. Don't argue with them because they're going to win. But then when it's in the final analysis, I tell him, I said, you know, just like my grandmama told me 60 years ago, pray, have faith, walk upright, get a good education, and then prepare yourself to do something in a positive way for other people. Dale, you know, as I mentioned, our first podcast was entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, you know, Sean had the, the right idea uh, to to title our podcast after Dr. King's Dr. King's book. So a, as someone who who mentors the next generation, I, I ask you the question, where do we go from here? Or maybe, you know, where are we going? What's the outlook? Well, you know, I would I would ask that uh, your, your, your listeners um, consider becoming mentors themselves. There are hundreds of kids out there who need people in their lives to give them a ray of light, an opportunity, some things that they probably would not have access to. You know, just a, just imagine, you know, my little brother, um, the one I'm matched to now, he's been in a high-rise building downtown Dallas. That was overwhelming to him, something we take for granted. We do it all the time in our jobs and our uh, the things that we do from day to day, but that in and of itself was overwhelming. So, you know, I urge your listeners to become mentors, to uh, practice some some tolerance of people who don't look like themselves. It's been tried all over Dallas. Dallas dinner table and uh, bridge building dialogue and all of that. But again, there's still more work to be done because there's issues with jobs and education, environmental justice, um, police reform, gun control, as we've all talked about this week. And then my pet peeve is voter suppression. And just this week, I wrote my state representative a letter urging her to make sure that she's making the right decisions when it comes to what I know is going on, not just in Texas, but throughout the South. Dale, this is wonderful information and, and insight and perspective that you share with, with our listeners and with us. So for sure, thank you for that. If if anyone wants to to reach out to you or get a hold of you or find you? Is there is there a place they can go, social media, email, anything like that you, you could share? Of course, I'm on Facebook on the Dale Long, and you can email me at dale1906 at verizon.net. Dale1906 at verizon.net. Look to hear from you. Well, Dale, we appreciate you. Uh, and Ryan, I know you, you were going to check in, but I want to definitely say thank you and uh, and look forward talking to, to talking to you again soon, man. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for thinking of me. And I'm hoping that uh, this uh, few minutes spent will, will make Dallas a better place. And I'm looking forward to um, uh, the results of the time we spent today. And again, thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Dale. Thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, stick with us. This is Deconstructing Dallas. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Deconstructing Dallas. Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean. Wow. Dale Long. What a legend, man. He is an amazing man. Uh, a great friend. I've known Dale and known of Dale for over 20 years. Just things he's done for our fraternity and at meetings and hearing him speak. He always wears a bow tie. Very distinctive in that way. But uh, but he is history. And uh, and I'm glad that, that he was able to help us kick off this new series. He, he really made me think about, you know, when my family and I, I believe it was 2016, uh, when we went on our own civil rights tour and we went and visited Memphis and the Rain Hotel and Museum, Civil Rights Museum. We went to Birmingham. We went to Selma. And, you know, we really had an opportunity to, to see. And we saw the 16th Street Church have to post some pictures. Uh, we went inside. We went into the basement, uh, I believe. Uh, or actually, no, no, no. I'm thinking about Dexter Avenue Church. We actually just went around. We didn't get to go in 16th. But it is a beautiful, yeah. beautiful church, as he mentioned. And just to think that that was the site uh, where this bombing took place and four little girls lost their lives. Uh, and I would suggest, and I know... You know, you you know of of what work SMU does as it re- relates to their civil rights pilgrimage, but it's something people should always think about con- considering doing. Yeah, you know, my my former mentor, the uh, professor Dennis Simon at SMU, God God rest his soul, he was an incredible guy. Um, I, I know that our colleague uh, Samantha, who who keeps us on track uh, on our on our podcast, thank you, Samantha. She went on the the SMU civil rights pilgrimage. Uh, throughout these historic sites, and uh, you know, I, I never went. Sh- shame on me. Um, it was it was kind of in its infancy when I was in school. But I'm glad that Samantha went, and glad that they continue the program. I know she really thinks that it should be required for all students, and and I uh, tend to agree with her. Um, just you know, Lauren and I took when we had not only one, not two kids. We we drove to Memphis, and we did the Lorraine uh, the Lorraine Motel and, and Museum. And man, just just standing on that site is uh, is really powerful. That museum is really well done. So it really uh, is w- one of the one of the best museums I've I've been to. In fact, so um, you know, just these sites are important, and uh, it's important to go and you know feel those feelings if you can. And you know, sadly, we have some of those in our own city, but um, it's important to remember this stuff for sure. So. Grateful that we had Dale on to share his experiences, and that there are people like Dale out there. Um, yeah, and I want to—I I definitely want to issue a challenge. I mean, I know that none of us have been able to travel, but uh, prayerfully, as more people are becoming vaccinated and, and and things are getting better with the pandemic, but hopefully, maybe by the end of this year, we can. But whenever we can travel, I definitely would challenge our listeners to to do what you did, Ryan, and go to the Lorraine Motel. Uh, Memphis is a great city to visit, by the way. Lots Amazing barbecue. Yeah. Uh, do, go to the Lorraine Motel. Go to, to Alabama. There's there's also some sites in, in Mississippi, like Jackson, that we didn't go to. I, I hope to go to Philadelphia, Mississippi at some point. Uh, but uh, Alabama, you know, between Birmingham and Montgomery, uh, at you know, I, I think I've shared a picture before where standing on the site where – uh, Jefferson Davis took the oath of office for the so-called uh, Confederate states that were not a nation. But uh, I was like, uh, he probably didn't see the day when I'd be standing there. 
Uh, but but like it's what you said, Ryan, it's the feelings that you get when you're in this place, when you walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and walk down that hill and think about the people who were walking and saw the the officers waiting for them with with sticks and, and, and dogs. And, you know, those are feelings that you get when you go to those places. So I definitely would issue the challenge to our listeners to 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 go to these sites and learn and think about and feel those feelings that people felt as they were going through this back in the day. Well, well, let me just, again, you know, thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to, to do this podcast. I'm ready. I'm excited about uh, continuing our series. Um, you know, we, we long ago, one of our first guests was, was Fred Gray. Uh, yes. and I, uh, I remember being at the, the Lorraine motel, uh, museum and I'm, I'm like, I'm texting you, I'm pushing a baby and I'm like, Sean, Sean, I've got a picture of Fred Gray here, it's right here by the bus. You know, it's right here, man. Look, I found him. And so, uh, you know, just, just, uh, again, thank you for, uh, for, you know, bringing me on the journey and, and, you know, getting me in gear and hopefully everybody else gets in gear and we get, you know, make progress and, uh, go forward to a better tomorrow. Well, Ryan, I, I wanted to, before we go, uh, take a moment to, uh, acknowledge the passing of, of, a great leader in our city, a great man, a friend of mine, someone I've known over 20 years. And one of our uh, a f- former guests on our podcast, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we lost Bishop Omar Jawar. Uh, he passed away at, and, and I didn't realize that he and I were born in the same year. And, um, you know, he was also a friend of, of the family of Samantha, uh, our, our partner and colleague and her dad, um, Samantha and Jack Matthews. And so, um, I, I, I want to take a moment to, to acknowledge his passing, the, the legacy Omar left, uh, through Urban Specialist, the Hill America tour and, and the countless lives that he touched, uh, through his service and, and, and brokering some of the first gang truces here in, in Dallas and, and work across the state. And, uh, you know, it, it's a huge loss. And, and I, I count us very fortunate to have our conversation that we had with him that we can, we can listen to and, and we can, can keep referring to, but it is a huge loss losing uh, Bishop Omar. No doubt. I'm, I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to, you know, to, to capture a few minutes with him and that, that um, we got to visit with him and, you know, just hear his passion come through. So um we, we encourage you to go back and listen to our first series from, from last summer. It's, it's, it's on our site and uh, we will uh, be sure to um, share that and encourage everybody to listen to the, to this series going forward. Well, Ryan, this uh, is going to wrap up our first, um, first podcast in this new series, but we've got a lot of ways to go and I appreciate you. I want to give a, a big shout out to, um, Samantha Matthews, who works on us on the show with us on our show notes uh, and helps helps us also with our production. I want to thank MZ Studios, Michael Zavala. Thanks to the entire Allen Media team. Uh, if you want to learn more about uh, what we're doing at Allen Media, not only through our podcasts, uh, but also through um, through our uh, webinar, through other resources that we've compiled as it relates to uh, using our voices and platform for positive change, uh, you can visit Allen Media Action at allenmedia.com uh, slash action. 
uh, or you can just visit our website, allenmedia.com. Uh, if you want to find Ryan and I on social media, you can find us on Twitter is the best place. Tremble 15 is where Ryan is at Tremble 15 I am at Sean P. Williams at S-H-A-W-N-P as in Patrick Williams. We'll be continuing this series, but make sure you share this with the folks in your network. Uh, feel free to leave us a review, uh, but definitely share this with your network because you can find this podcast on anywhere you get your podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, at all. So for Ryan Trimble, this is Sean Williams. We will talk to you soon. Adios. Thank <laughs> you.